0: What we were sharing specifically was that I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old boy, and I'm 46, and I am tired chasing those little guys around, and so I was asking Rob for some advice with that, but uh, yeah, I didn't have any, uh, but you mourned with me, so that was nice. Men, thanks, thanks for being here. I love coming out to the springs. I love coming out right now, especially. I'm a Tucson boy, so when we see snow, it's up on the mountains a long ways away. And so seeing it here this morning when I woke up, I came in in the evening last night, so I really enjoyed it. Men, I don't know if you have ever looked back on your life and considered what days or events or things have kind of marked your life and have kind of made you the person that you are. If you haven't done that, I'd encourage you to take some time to do that. And most of the time, it's probably a marriage. It might be a birth of a child. It might be a career move that you've made or a certain job or an investment or a grandchild. Um, Those are some of those as I was getting prepared for this talk, uh, this time around, I did the same thing. And for me, there have been two days that have marked my life more than any other. A birth and a death. The first one, a birth, was when I became a Christian. And let me, I'm going to step down off this podium. The first one was when I became a Christian. And the reason I call that a birth is because... In the Bible, there's this guy, his name is Nicodemus, and he's a religious leader, and he comes to Jesus, and he comes to Jesus with a question, and he says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what? That doesn't make sense. You want me to go back into my mother's womb and come out again? And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not what I mean. You were born once physically, you have to be born once spiritually. And so that's what I mean by my spiritual birth. The second one, Dave, that's marked me more than any other, is a death. And it's the death of my two-year-old daughter, Olivia. And it happened about seven years ago now. And I'm going to talk about both of these events. And I'm going to share my story. And my hope is that we'll be able to draw some applications out of these events as I kind of weave the story through that you can apply to your own life. And I've been where you are. I've been out in the audience in these talks. I've given a few of them. And as I've watched the speakers up front, it seemed like it has seemed like maybe you kind of start off a little bit slow and you kind of build to a climax and and I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to start off maybe even with the end in mind rather than kind of just leaving it to the end. And so My goal today, what I want to do with you guys, is I want to lay before you two paths that you can take in life. The path of life and the path of death. And I think God does the same thing in the Bible with his people. He says this, Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. In another place of the Bible, Jesus makes the comparison between two paths. He says there's one path with a very narrow gate which leads to a difficult way which leads to life at the end. And then there's another path that has a very wide gate that leads to a very easy path that leads to destruction. And that many people go down that or go in through that wide gate down the easy path that leads to destruction and very few are willing to enter by the narrow gate And go down the difficult path that leads to life. So, my intent today is to lay before you these two paths. And it's not just to lay before you the two paths to make you aware of them. But it's with the intent that hopefully you'll decide if you're on that path leading to death, you'll decide to shift and get on that path that leads to life. And it's kind of like... You're in a fork, a fork in the road. So you've been traveling along this road doing your own thing and you come to this fork in the road and you can either keep going in the same direction that you're going which is going to wind up in death or you can veer off and get on the path of life that leads to life. So that's where we're headed. Now, I mentioned those two days and... The first day I want to talk about is the day that my daughter died. Now, you can imagine, and you guys probably have had some deaths in the family as well, but something like that comes along. It is a storm unlike any other that uh, you can experience. Um, you can't prepare for it. It just hits you out of the blue. It's unexpected, and, um, and it has the tendency to ruin a person. Now, I don't share this event for you to feel sorry for me or, or to think I'm great because I've gone through it or anything like that, but I share it for a couple reasons. The first reason I share it is because on that day that my daughter died, we were sitting on the back porch of a friend's house and all of my older kids and their kids were swimming in a pool and it was fenced in and there was a gate and there was a latch and it was shut. We thought we were safe. But we didn't know that that latch didn't work. And so our daughter was able to open up the gate and get in without us knowing. And we were literally sitting 10 or 15 feet away from the pool. And she was able to get in without us seeing it. We weren't drink; We had one beer, I think, that, that day. But what struck me is that we thought we were safe. We thought that we were secure. And I think a lot of us go through life that way. And maybe that's okay in, in the small things in life. Like, ah, I'm not going to worry about that or I'm not going to worry about that. But... In regards to God, in eternity, and what happens after death, you can't afford to be lackadaisical like that. You can't just say, ah, eh, it'll be okay. You know, whatever it is, it is, and I'll find out when I get there. That's idiotic. And it's really the path that leads to death. The second reason I want to bring up my daughter's, um, when she drowned her death, is that that day, I was the one that gave her CPR, on the cool deck of the pool. I was the one who held her in my arms as she died, and I was the one that laid with her, her dead body in the room in the hospital. That day, death came to my doorstep, and I had to think hard and long and deeply on the idea of death. And you know what, in our society, we don't have to think about death all that much anymore. Back in medieval times, three out of five kids would die before their fifth birthday. Three out of five. Can you imagine that in your family? Three out of five people of, of kids dying? Death is all around you. You know, these plagues that have hit you know, the world throughout time where half of the population vanishes over a few months. We don't, we don't have to deal with that as much. And when you have to think about death you have to think about what happens after death. Where will you go? What will you do? And the Bible tells us what will happen after death. The Bible says that each one of us will stand before the Almighty God and either will enter into an eternity in heaven with God or will be cast out from His his presence and will spend an eternity in hell. And hell is described as a lake of fire, in brimstone, basically hot lava, where there's wailing and pain and mourning and gnashing of teeth forever. Catch that last word, forever. Are you guys willing to take that chance? So, again, I want to lay before you the way of life and the way of death in hopes that you'll make that choice and choose the way of life. Now, in order to share with you about that second day that has kind of marked my life, the day of my my spiritual birth, I kind of have to hit the rewind button a little bit. So, for 25 years of my life, I was on that path that led to death. I was basically living a lie. I thought that I was doing life properly, and this may be you guys, I thought that, well, as I look back over those 25 years, kind of in hindsight, it was as if I was building these straw huts along the beach, and one would get knocked down, and so I'd put up another one, and I was putting my faith and my trust and my identity in these straw huts, and then something would come along, knock it over, and I'd be like, all right, that didn't work, so let's build another one, and I'd come over here, build another one, and I'd just keep doing that. Let me give you a little details to that. I grew, I grew up swimming in Phoenix at the age of five and I swam competitively since I was five. Swimming was my life and Rob and I were talking about that this volleyball was his life. But for me swimming was my life. It gave me a sense of security, it gave me peace, it gave me joy, it gave me identity. I put my faith and my trust in swimming. I swam in high school. I was an All-American in college. I was a captain of our swim team. I went to the Olympic trials. That too, I was, a swimmer. But then my last year of eligibility, I got mono because I was being irresponsible and I was partying and, and doing the things that college kids do. And that storm, which was mono, came along and just wiped out that hut of swimming that I had put my faith and trust in. And I was left depressed, anxious, empty inside. And so what did I do? Well, that must not have been it. So let's throw yourself into school. So I had one more year left of school. So I sought to be be the smartest person in my class. And so I sought wisdom and knowledge. And that's what I poured myself into. So I put that hut up of wisdom. And then six months, eight months later, college was over. So I wasn't the smartest guy anymore as I moved out into the workplace. That hut got destroyed. So then I started, well, okay, it's success in a career. Let's try and move up the ladder. And then that didn't really satisfy. It just left me lacking. I couldn't find joy and peace and, and uh, my identity there. And so then I tried to make as much money as I could, you know, hopping around between different jobs. And again, I was left empty, dissatisfied, insecure, Without lasting joy and peace in my life. And so by that time, it was starting to dawn on me that I wasn't quite doing it the right way. But there was one other lie that I was living, and that lie was that I thought I was a good person. I thought that I was running the race of life according to the rules, and and really, honestly, I'm just a people pleaser. I've kind of grown up that way all my life, and so. I would put my best face or my best foot forward and I would try and make sure that that person I was interacting with liked me. And the core of that is just selfishness, right? And there were many ways that I wasn't a good person. I I lied. I would cheat on my tax reports. I would interact with women in a way I shouldn't. So I was was, uh, lustful for women. And God says that all lying, thieving... Adulterers, they don't go to heaven, they go to hell. And so all this was kind of going on in my life. And it was about when I was 25 years of age and I was living up in Eugene, Oregon as an engineer. And I got a hold of this book. And in this book, it talked about how God loved his people. And he was so sad about how the way we were running our lives, the way that we were living our lives. And that pierced me to the core I knew that the way I had been running my life was not working. And this just pierced me down into the depths of my soul and said, he's talking to me. That I'm running this race wrong. I'm living my life improperly. I'm not a good person. And at that time, it was almost as if I was a child who had run away and there was this father still at home who wanted me back And he longed to have me back. And I sensed this in the message that I was getting from the book. So I turned around from the direction I was going away from God and ran back to him. And he offered me peace and joy and identity and purpose in life. In essence, he offered me the opportunity to build my house not on the sand, but on him, on the rock. And I took that opportunity. I asked Jesus into my life, to be my Lord and Savior and that was about when I was 25 years of age and I was an engineer at the time. God gave me a purpose to go preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick so I totally changed my life around, went back into medicine, graciously got into pediatrics, met my wife in the process, my wonderful wife and we ended up having five kids awesome kids. And then June 13th, 2011 he took one of them home. But you know what? My life was no longer built on the sand. It was built on that rock. So that storm of Olivia's death came and my house stood strong not because of anything to do with me but because it was founded on the rock. It held steady. And then that might seem weird to you, but I can tell you with complete honesty that Olivia's death in my life and in my family's life is the greatest gift secondary to salvation that God has given us. And maybe that doesn't make sense at all, but I'm a pediatrician. And all day long, I talk about two things. I talk about discipline And I talk about vaccines. And if you think about it, that both of those things hurt children, right? They're painful. We've grown up in this culture telling us the lie that all pain is evil and all pleasure is good. You don't have to look very far to see how wrong that is. That pain can be just as good as pleasure. You look at discipline, the spanking, or the, the, um, you know, sending your kid to time out. That's for their good. A vaccine, it's for their good. God inflicted that pain in our lives for our good. And we've recognized that through the truths of the Bible. Secondly, he did the best thing in the world for Olivia. She's sitting up in heaven right now in a place where there is no sin, no pain, no sorrow. None of that. She escaped this stuff that we have to live. In. Again, men, I can't, I can't express how grateful I am to God for what he did in our lives. So, that's a little bit of my story. Now I want to ask you guys some questions. Do you guys think that, um, does anything that I'm saying kind of resound with you guys? Are you living a life where you're just building these little huts along the beach? Are you putting your faith and your trust in your job or your relationships? Maybe your spouse or something like that or how much money you have in the bank account? Some of you men that are a little further along than I am. What are you putting your faith and your trust in? Is it giving you lasting security and peace and contentment? I'll tell you right now that putting your faith and your trust in this world and the things of this world is the path that leads to death. And we're all going to die. And you're going to find out after that if you've put your chips, if you've bet correctly where you've put your chips. Or are you like me where you think you're a pretty good person? Well, the Bible tells us that if we say that we're good, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. Again, if we say that we're good, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. And I can just ask you a few quick questions to prove that you're not a good person. Have you ever lied? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll raise mine. Well, it makes me a liar, right? It makes you a liar. Have you ever stolen anything? Even change off your dad's dresser? Well, what does that make you? It makes you a thief. Have you ever looked at a woman who wasn't your wife lustfully or done more than just look? Well, the Bible would say that's almost synonymous with committing adultery. It makes you an adulterer. And again, the Bible says, and I think each one of you would say, that liars, thieves, adulterers are not good people. They might be better than what you read in the newspaper. But that's just a subjective measurement. But they're not good people. And the Bible says that all lying, thieving adulterers will spend eternity in hell, in fire, in brimstone, in wailing, and in pain, in torment, forever and ever. men, if these these things at all are sounding reasonable to you, I would encourage you that if you have been living the lie that this world puts out there, turn from those lies. The Bible tells us the truth that there's none good, no, not one, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is sin? Sin. Well, sin is kind of what I've described, that sin is living life the way you want to, by your rules. It's actually an archery term, and it literally means to miss the mark. And let's say the mark that God wants for you is right over there. Well, if you're on the path of death, you're 180 degrees turned around, and you're shooting at the mark over there. You're living a completely contrary life to what God wants for you. That's what sin is. And he says that the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. And it's not just a physical death, but it's a spiritual death in hell. Men, as best I can describe, that is the way which leads to death. Leading life the way you want to, shooting at your own target, rather than what God wants for you. And the payment for that is going to be death. But, and there's a, there's a but here, there's good news, that's the bad news. The good news is that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What is that gift? The gift is this, God demonstrates his love for each one of us and each one of you God demonstrates his love in his son Jesus Christ dying on the cross to pay for our sins. The gift is that God has loved you and has poured out his love and what he did is he put his son Jesus Christ up on that cross and he poured out that payment that was due for our works of sin on his son Jesus, who never once sinned. He didn't deserve it, but he got it. We deserve it, and we can escape it. And I don't want you to miss this one part. This is huge, this is huge, huge, huge. You can receive the wages for your works. So you can receive the wages for doing this, shooting at the target over here. And those wages are death. Or you can receive the free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus. That's the deal of all deals. But with any gift, can you just leave it wrapped under the Christmas tree? Oh yeah, that's my, my gift over there under the Christmas tree. I'm going to leave it till next Christmas. Well, that doesn't work, right? you got to receive it. you got to take it. You've got to open it up. You've got to make it your own. And that's what you have to do with Jesus. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to, like I did when I was 25, put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And it's not just believing in him. There's a lot of people out there that believe in God. But it's about him becoming the boss of your life. You can't be shooting at this target over here and say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. You have to turn your life around and you have to make him the boss of your life. You have to trust in him with your life. And so, I'm going to pause here. And I just want to remind you that today, maybe, Maybe five years from now, maybe ten years, my hope is that today could be a day that you look back on and say, that day at Phantom Canyon marked my life and made me who I am then. But again, you have to receive that gift. And so, I'm going to pause. And if today you want to receive that gift of forgiveness of your sins and come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads, but I'm going to lead us in a prayer that you can repeat this after me. And if you don't feel comfortable saying it out loud, by all means, don't. But what I want you to be sure of is that it's not a prayer to anybody around you. It's a prayer to God. And so you can say it yourself, you could say it under your breath you could say it out loud if you want but I would encourage you to make that decision today don't wait and have that lackadaisical approach everything will be okay because I don't think it will be that latch on the gate is broken and it can lead to your death so will you bow your heads with me And again, if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just repeat this simple prayer after me. God, I come before you and I admit that I've been living life the way I want to live my life. I've been in rebellion to you And Lord, I come to you and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. Holy Spirit, come into my life right now and make me a new person. Change me from the man that's on the path of death to the man who is on the path of life. Thank you for bringing me into relationship with you, God, and for allowing me to spend an eternity with you in heaven. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Then that's the last of, of my talk. What I want to do with the couple minutes that we have left is uh, there is a, a comment card on the table. It's in this little yellow envelope here. Would somebody grab that and just open it up and pass the pens and the, uh, the comment card around?